This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Brent Coulter. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing today? It's good. It's good to see you. Um, I made mention in the first service, my wife has actually attended the first service this morning, which she generally attends this service. And the reason is, is because our youngest daughter, our 16-year-old, went and stayed with her sister on campus, university campus, this weekend. And so we were semi-empty nesters this weekend. We liked it and we didn't like it. So we're kind of in that in-between. It was like, hey, it's a quiet house. We're not spending a lot of money this weekend. It's amazing. <laughs> So Nicole was able to come to the first service, because a lot of people at the first service never get to see her, and I was like, hey, she's still here. She hasn't given up on me 25 years in. <laughs> All right, well, we are actually going to celebrate a communion together as a church family. And it's something exciting for us to do. And so uh, it, it's great for all of us. This message today will, if you are a Christ follower, will remind us again why we uh, celebrate communion together. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, this is a great Sunday for you to be here as well. You can find out why we have this tradition in the context of the church. And then also you'll get to understand the whole big idea of Christianity this morning. And so it's just kind of a special morning um, all around. So we'll celebrate this together at the end of the message. So what we're going to be celebrating today is something called communion, or depending on which tradition you grew up in, Eucharist, which just means giving of thanks. And then also the Lord's table is what this is described as. And we're going to look at this uh, verses here in Luke chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles, turn over there with me this morning. If, you're, if you have the Bible app on your device, you can get over there. If you don't have the Bible app on your device, you should get it. It's a really good idea. You can read the scripture right there on your phone or your iPad. Um, and then also another great feature of having that app on your phone is you can actually listen to the scripture. If you're a little bit lazy to read, maybe in bed at night. Put some earphones in. You can listen to the scripture. I highly encourage you to download. It's called version. Now, when we think about the table, we're getting ready, as, we're, as the girls mentioned, uh, moving into Christmas time. And one of the things that we're going to do this Christmas as we gather together as families is that we're going to eat at some point. This is always a big part of celebration at Christmas time or Thanksgiving or any time we get together with family. One of, one of the things that we do is eat. Can I get an Amen. It's a really, it's a really, it's a, it's just a constant within the idea of celebration. When we are celebrating, we're going to eat together. And there's something special at being at the table uh, with family. And that's kind of what we're talking about today as we talk about the Lord's table, um, God's table that God invites us all to sit at his table. And what does this exactly mean for us? Once again, a great reminder for us as Christ followers, if you're here today and you don't understand what it means to be a Christian, it's a great uh, day for you as the, the invitation is for you as well. So we see here in Luke chapter 22, the story of the Last Supper and what Jesus said at the Last Supper. The Last Supper means the Last Supper before he went to get crucified and before his resurrection. And he's spending some intimate time uh, with his disciples. And that's one of the first things that we would see about the table is that there's some intimacy at the table that we are inviting our family and friends, and not only are we eating together, but we're just spending that close time together, and we're celebrating life, and we're laughing together, um, but there's some great intimate conversation that can happen around the table. Luke chapter 22, verse 14 says this, and when the hour came, 
he reclined at the table talking about Jesus and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, the Passover is what um, the Jewish nation would do as they would remember every year their exodus from Egypt. They were in Egyptian bondage for about 400 years. And then God, we all know the story, uh, used Moses to lead them out of bondage. It's a great metaphor for leading um, us as it relates to our salvation, leading us away from the world, leading us away from our sin, uh, leading us away from any bondage that we might have had in our lives to the promised land. And so so this was something that they would do as families, that they would get together and they would celebrate the Passover every year, commemorating what God had done as he brought them out of Egypt. And then Jesus continues on in verse 16. He says this, for I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the day the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Everybody say, New covenant. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And, we, and today. and we see some very practical things here in the context of the Last Supper that they were um, sharing a meal together. Now, for practical purposes, we are not sharing a full meal. You know, the elements that we're going to be having this morning, there's a very small wafer and there's a very tiny little bit of grape juice in the containers uh, that we're going to be celebrating with today. Um, and I don't want you to think that we're breaking any biblical rules by doing this um, because we could see here they're actually sharing a loaf of bread. And, you know, if we were to share a loaf of bread in here today, it would have to be a pretty big loaf. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> And then partly if we were all passing this loaf around, you know, about 10 people in, you would be like, I'm not touching that loaf. I don't know if they've washed their hands or not. I don't want to eat that bread. Um, I'm not sure if everybody had hand sanitizer this morning. So there would be a lot of, you know, roadblocks to being able to do that. You know, the... My, my daughter, the university that she goes to, they, they have chapel at this university. And one of the things they do is they have communion together um, as a student body. And, and one of the traditions, the way they do communion um, at the school is they actually have a cup there at the front. And then they have a loaf of bread. And then you take a piece off the loaf and then you dip the, lo- the piece of bread that you have into the cup. And then that's the way that they receive communion. Um, once again, they're not breaking any scriptural laws either by doing it that way. Um, and one of the things that my daughter said, one of her first experiences, you know, taking off the loaf of bread because she's used to our style of communion. She went up to the loaf and she tore from the loaf, but basically the piece she tore off was too big. You know what I mean? It was kind of like when you start tearing and there was a lot and she kind of had the sheepish look at the person who was holding a loaf, and they kind of went. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? You can't put it back, you know, on the loaf. So she had this big chunk of bread that she's dipping in. <laughs> so we're not breaking any scriptural laws by receiving communion the way that we do. And, but the important thing is what we are thinking about as we understand what the new covenant is, and this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is the new covenant. In other words, there was an old covenant, but now he's instituting the new covenant. And as they're having this meal, as they're celebrating the Passover meal with the bread and the wine, that they are, Jesus is saying, hey, there's a brand new covenant happening. Now, when we 
think about the word covenant, it's not a word that we use in our modern vernacular now. We kind of maybe think a contract is like a covenant. It's not exactly the same. But when we think about this word covenant, the Old Testament or the Old Covenant was something that was very familiar to them or this word, this, this idea of covenant, they would understand. And when God stepped into the middle of the Old Testament times, that he was stepping into the ancient Near East and they, were, they had this custom called covenant cutting. They would cut a covenant. And what this would mean is that sometimes different families or different tribes would get together and maybe one tribe or one family um, was, was very rich in produce, that they were great farmers and they were able to pr- produce a lot of crops and have a lot of um, things, you know, like food growing from the ground. And then maybe another family nearby would have a lot of livestock. And so there would be a great advantage of these two families coming together and one could provide, you know, food grown from the ground and the other family could provide something as it related to the animals that they held. And so these two families would come together and they would cut a covenant. Legitimately, they would cut each other's hand and they would shake hands. This is where this idea comes from. Sometimes we spit in hands, we're doing a handshake. Uh, In other words, this means that we're family now. We're sharing blood and that means we share what we have. That what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. That they would cut a covenant with each other and sometimes as it related to warfare. Uh, family, you know, some family who was maybe a farming family, there would be another family or a tribe nearby, and they would be really strong in warfare. So it would be smart, smart for this family to cut a covenant with this other family so they could have some sort of protection. And so this idea of cutting a covenant made sense to them. And so when God showed up, he would use covenant language. And we see in the Old Testament, we see that God would cut a covenant with Adam, and then he would cut a covenant with Noah and Abraham and Moses and David. And over and over again, we would see in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the problem was that God was always keeping his side of the bargain. God was always keeping his side of the covenant. But what was the problem? The problem was there was humans on the other side of the covenant. And and covenant talk is kind of like this. If you do this, I'll do this. And so we're keeping our promises to each other. God always keeps his promises, but humans don't. Humans don't always keep up their side of the bargain. Have you noticed this? Now, I'm not just talking about other people this morning. I'm talking about you. You know that all the promises that you have made in your life, you have not kept all of those promises. And so the insufficiency of our humanity is what was the breakdown in all of the covenants that we would see in the old covenant. And these things were all based on works. We are going to try to do something to achieve our side of the covenant. We know God's always going to keep his side. But all of the covenants in the Old Testament, they all broke down because of humanity on the other side. But Jesus is saying, as he's looking forward to him dying on the cross and being resurrected, hey, this is the new covenant, or these elements are a representation of the new covenant, the new thing that God is doing, and what is God doing? And what did he do with Jesus? We see that he sent Jesus, that he sent Jesus as the perfect human, but then he was also God of the flesh. So what God accomplished through Jesus as he cut a covenant with humanity is that he had the sinless lamb of God, but then also sinless man. And that so God created a covenant with himself by being on both sides of the covenant, that, that scripture tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the, word, the world to himself. 
So no longer was God trying to depend, and he was also showing humans that they couldn't actually do it. You can never keep your side of the covenant. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my representative. I'm going to send my son. And he is going to be on both sides of the covenant that in Christ, the new covenant was cut. Fully God, fully man. And this is a great thing for us to think about. Hey, this is the old covenant. We're we're not living in the old covenant. We're living in the new covenant, something that Jesus has done for us, that God accomplished it through Christ and in Christ. And we get to walk in and live in this new covenant. So this is what Jesus is talking to disciples. They may not have understood the whole thing in this moment, but this is what Jesus is saying is the new covenant. No longer is the insufficiency of our humanity the problem in the covenant because the covenants were constantly breaking down why that they would sin and they would mess up. They wouldn't keep their word. So God was entering into this system and then showing man that they couldn't depend on themselves for their own salvation. They couldn't depend on, their sel- on themselves for their own ability to covenant keep, that it was going to have to be somebody else and that God came down a sinless man, and as God in the flesh, and he cut a covenant in Christ. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Amen. And so we see this idea discussed in the book of Hebrews. Now, the book of Hebrews is written to a bunch of Jewish Christians. And what's happening in the book of Hebrews is is the writer is trying to show them this new covenant idea based on old covenant principles and practices and showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of what, they, what was being described or what was being taught in the old covenant. So we can read here in Hebrews chapter 8. Let's turn over there, verse 7. So what is being described in Hebrews is this idea is that God provides the covenant on both sides. It's not just the God side and, and you know, David failing or Abraham failing, or Moses failing, or Adam failing, that there's a new, brand new covenant, and then it's found in Christ. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7 says this, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. In other words, the old covenant, or the first covenant, had issues. It had problems. What were the problems? Us. People. That was the problem with the old covenant, and so it had fault. Verse 8, it says, For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. With the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And I, sh- and, they, and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Why? Because they broke the covenant. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I, make, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. And now this is a prophecy that's being quoted from the book of Jeremiah, from the prophet Jeremiah, talking about the new covenant, talking about now. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In other words, there's no go-between. 
There's no high priest, physical high priest that they had to go to at the temple or the tabernacle to produce sacrifices for them to atone for their sins, that God would be directly in relationship with man. This is the new covenant. It's brand new. It's not like the old. Verse 11, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, that we can all have a relationship with God ourselves. We don't need a go-between. We don't need our mom or our dad. We, you don't need me. This is not the point of what I am doing. You, you don't have a relationship with God through me. You have a relationship with God through Jesus, that we all can know God for ourselves. Verse 12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Does anyone like that verse? <laughs> merciful. Thank God for his mercy. His mercy is here in the new covenant. I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. In other words, it's outdated. So we're not trying to live under the old covenant. And what would that look like? What would that mean in practical terms? That would look like me trying to do all of the laws of the Old Testament and trying to complete those laws as the purposes of my own righteousness. Thank God for the Ten Commandments. There's great teaching contained within the Ten Commandments, but you completing the Ten Commandments or avoiding the things found in the Ten Commandments don't make you righteous before God. It is only through Christ. And this is, so the old covenant, what is it? It's obsolete. It's outdated. You can't live it in anymore. Stop trying. Stop trying to make yourself righteous. Stop trying to be a good enough person that somehow God accepts you based on whatever that you would think he would want. No, that covenant, man, it's obsolete. It's outdated. It's based on works. The new covenant is based on grace, that in Christ, a brand new covenant was cut. So he's making it obsolete. Um, and then it says, and what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is all ready to vanish away. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17. Now, before we read these verses and we think about this now, when God does something as it relates to a covenant, we can trust him. Now, once again, the closest thing that we can think about as it relates to a covenant is something that we would call a contract. Now, the reason we have a contract with somebody is because we don't trust them, right? Here you say you're going to do this. You know, back in the day, you shake hands and we could trust each other and they were going to show up on time and they were going to do whatever. And then that stopped working. And we're like, you know what? We need to write a contract. And they're going to put their name on this contract. And they're going to say they're doing this. Why? Because I don't trust them. <laughs> and if they don't do it, I can take them to court and I can sue them. And then it just gets a little bit messy. So it's contracts are based on distrust, whereas covenants are based on trust. We trust each other. We're going to enter this covenant together. I trust you. You trust me. And this is the way we need to think about a covenant that God cuts. We can trust it. Because we know we can't trust ourselves. Let's be honest in here today, right? We know that we haven't kept our word all of the time, so we know ourselves, so we know we're not worthy of trust. But God, we can trust. And he cut a new covenant for us 
in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 says this. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. So when God creates a covenant, when God cuts both sides of a covenant, we can trust it. We know we can't trust a covenant that we cut. But when God cuts a covenant, what is the truth about it? Man, it's impossible for God to lie. God has provided a way for us in Christ. He guaranteed it with an oath. Verse 18, read it again. So that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure, steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So here, again, he's making reference for the Jewish Christians to the old covenant, the Old Testament tabernacle, the inner place where the presence of God would be, that that the priest, the high priest would go in and make atonement for for Israel, make sacrifice for sins. But now here saying in the new covenant, Jesus did this for us. The sacrifice has been paid forever. And this means stop trying to sacrifice, stop trying to make your way to God because he's made his way to you. Amen. See, all religion in some form is me trying to get to God, make my way to God. The gospel is that God has come down in Christ, and he has cut the covenant for He's gone into the secret place. He's gone into the place where the presence of God is, made the sacrifice. And then what does that mean? That means that we can actually experience the presence of God, that Jesus has done something for us so that we can experience the presence of God. We can go into the holy of holies. Why? Because he cut a covenant. He's on both sides, and he can be trusted. See, and this is the relationship that God invites us into. This is the thing that's available to all of us this morning. Verse 19, we have the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place. We have hope. What does that mean? We have hope for today, our relationship with God, and then we have a hope for eternity. Why do I have hope for eternity? Based on me? No, based on the covenant that God cut in Christ that I have this expectation that I know that God has provided me a relationship with himself for now and then forever. That's why I can have hope. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Now, Melchizedek, once again, referring to the Jewish scriptures, was the high priest in and around the time of Abraham. So he was connecting, the writer was connecting all of these dots for them seeing this covenant that we see over and over again broken in the, in the Old Testament, but then here in Christ, the covenant is forever settled. The sacrifice has been made. Do we no longer have to try to climb our way to God? That he has actually provided something for us in 
Christ. And that means, once again, that salvation is available to everyone. If you're here today and you aren't a follower of Jesus, see, it's not a, it's not a hard thing to do. It's not a hard thing to do to say yes to righteousness. It's not a hard thing to do to say yes. Oh, man, this brand new covenant that God has provided for me in Christ, what, what do I got to do? What are the, what, do, I have to, what, do I have to act like religious people? Because I don't really like religious people. No, you don't have to act like religious people. Thank the Lord. <laughs> because, you know, I don't like this person and I don't like that person. And I don't like how this Christian person acts. And I don't want to act like them. Do I have, if I'm going to be a Christian, do I have to act like a Christian that I don't like? The unequivocal answer is no, you don't. But it is a really good thing to say yes to Jesus. See, don't say no to Jesus because of stupid Christians. See, this is the fight that I've had to fight my whole life, friends. 49, I've been in church 49 years, nine months. I've been in the game my whole life. I'm my whole life. <laughs> and I have met more mean, nasty Christians than you have met Christians. <laughs> and most people that are atheists are really anti-theists. They're not actually anti-God. They just don't like how religious people act. But don't reject God because of people. This is the whole point of the new covenant. The point of the new covenant is that people are a mess. This is the whole story of Christianity. The whole story of Christianity is not, we aren't perfect people. That's what it means to be an actual Christian. An actual Christian says, I'm a mess. I need help from God. That's what it means. Not, I'm perfect. And I just want you to know how much I read my Bible this week. <laughs> and I just want you to know that I went to church 48 of 52 times last year. I got you beat. <laughs> That's not what it means to be a Christian. And what it means to be a Christian is accept the new covenant that you couldn't actually create on yourself, on your own goodness, on your own merits, on your own ability. See, but God has an invitation for you today. For those of you that say yes and you follow him and those of you that don't know yet or maybe aren't sure yet, God gives us all the invitation. The invitation of salvation. And he invites us to his table. He wants us to sit down at his table. Romans chapter 3 verse 21 says this, now, the righteousness of God that has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, talking about the Old Testament, that they're all pointing to Jesus, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. How is it that we achieve the righteousness of God in our lives? Righteousness just means right standing with God, in right relationship with God. How do we get there? Will we believe that this has been done for us. See, nothing is true just because you believe it, but the story of the gospel is true, so we then put our faith in it. That is what the writer is saying, that this is the truth. This is the truth about how we have a relationship with God, that God has come down and done something in Christ. Otherwise, 
we're just another religion, friends. Do you understand? And then we're com comparing, competing our, our ethical teaching and our moral teaching, but what sets the scripture apart and what sets Jesus apart is grace. That he comes, God comes and he makes a way for us. He's not asking you to do it because you can't do it. The story of the Old Testament proves that we can't. And so he comes down and he does the work for us and he invites us. He says, hey, come to my table. I want you to sit down like one of the family. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we are justified by his grace as a gift. Justified, a great definition, a way to think about that. What does that mean? It means just as if I'd never sinned. He's made us righteous. He's invited us into the family. Say yes. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. In other words, I believe it. I put my trust in him. This was to show God's righteousness because in his defined forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's what we're talking about this morning. Faith in Jesus, the one who cut both sides of the covenant for us. See, and this is why this is so important. See, this communion can become so ritualized, and it, it can become so, no big deal, whatever, juice and wafer, we've done it a million times. But when we actually remember what's been accomplished for us, when we think about a covenant that's been cut for us, that we had the complete inability to do for ourselves, we were hopeless in this world. And if we are just another religion, we are hopeless in this world. But God has done something in Christ. He's given us this wonderful gift. Man, we're going to celebrate it today. We're going to let it change our thinking. We're going to remember that it's true. This amazing thing that happened that in Jesus we have a new covenant. Psalm 143 verse 5 says this. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. That's what we're doing during communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We would actually ponder. We would think about the work of his hands. We're just not just going to eat a wafer and drink some juice. But the whole point is that we're engaging our spirit. That's why it doesn't actually matter if it's a loaf of bread or you dip or if it's real wine or gluten-free. That's not the point. <laughs> the point is the heart. The point is the pondering of the heart. The point is the remembering what's been done. The, the spiritual truth that has taken place. Jesus said, this is the new covenant, metaphorically speaking, that this thing that we're doing, man, this tells the story of the new covenant. We have a brand new covenant. We're not depending on the old. We're not depending on ourselves. 
Psalm 23, verse 1 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you see that right there in the middle of verse 5? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, when we think about the table of food, the celebration that we're going to be having at Christmas time, what is on the table? On the table is the provision. Now, when we think about God's table, what's on God's table? The table that he invites us to, the table that he sets before us in the presence of our enemies. See, what is the enemy of my life if I'm trying to live in the old covenant? What is the enemy of my life? The enemy of my life is my shame. The enemy of my life is my guilt. Why? Because we have weeks where our flesh wins. Does anybody want to admit that that's true in church today? Let's just take a moment. Let's just be honest in church. It's a good place to be honest. Has anyone ever had a week when your flesh wins? The rest of you are lying. So all of us, all of us qualify today. But in the middle of my, the shame and the guilt, in the middle of the things that I've done wrong, in the middle of all of these things that are an enemy to my soul and my life, God prepares a table. What is on God's table of provision? There is a big bowl of forgiveness. There is a really big bowl of healing. There's a really big bowl of peace, an overflowing bowl of peace. There's an overflowing bowl of wisdom. There's an overflowing bowl. Whatever we need is on the Lord's table. And he invites us to the table. And you know who's there serving it to us? Jesus is there. And he says to us, I know you don't actually qualify for this forgiveness, but you've been invited to the table. Here you go. I know you don't actually qualify for this healing because of the things that you did last week, but you're not depending on your own flesh. You are depending, Jesus says, on my righteousness. Here is the bowl of healing that you need. See, God is inviting us to the table, the table of provision. And what do we do? Like, I'm not, oh, I, I can't come. I'm not worthy to be at the table. Nobody is inviting us to the table. The Father is inviting us to the table. You know, one day in the future, way in the future, there will be some boys that show up with my girls. Just hang with me for a second. <laughs> and one thing I know ahead of time is they will not be good enough. I'm just telling you, they won't be good enough. going to come to me and be like, Dad, we have to invite him over for dinner. 
And it's gonna be a really big deal when the Father invites somebody to the table. See, but God has invited you to his table every day and this is a really big deal. And you're not good enough to be there and I'm not good enough to be there. But all the provision that we ever need is on the table. There's a story in the Old Testament, one of my favorite, favorite Bible stories about a guy named Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, and Saul was the first king of Israel. And we, if you know the Bible story, on the same day, Saul and his son, Jonathan, were killed. And a nurse was looking after Mephibosheth and she, you know, she maybe thought they were also coming to kill the grandson. And so she picked up Mephibosheth, he was about five years old, and she started running away, you know, out of the royal area. And what happened was she dropped him. He's about five years old, and the scripture says that he became crippled in his feet. In other words, he became a paraplegic. And we know that David became king after Saul, and a few years down the road, David had this idea, I believe it was a God-inspired idea, and he said, is there anyone left in Jonathan's household that I could bless. And so they found, oh yeah, there's a guy named Mephibosheth, it's a hard name to say, and, and he's still alive and he's living in a certain place. And David said, call him. Now, if you were Mephibosheth, you were kind of like thinking, oh, you know, this is a big deal. Like maybe David is calling me so because he, Mephibosheth might have a claim to the throne, right? Based on birth order. So he might be thinking, you know, David's calling me so he could finish off my family. So he's there and he's called to the throne room with the king. We pick up the story here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 6, and, it's six, and it says this, And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell on his faith, paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, he said, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, I will show you kindness. In other words, don't be afraid. I'm not going to kill you. I'm actually going to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore you to the land of Saul, your father, and you should eat at my table always. And he paid homage and he said, what is your servant that you should show regard for such a dead dog such as I? And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring him in the produce. And your master's grandson may have bread to eat, but Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my, my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And that's you and I this morning, friends. See, the king has invited us to the table. And the king said to Mephibosheth, for Jonathan's sake, God looks at us today and he says, for Jesus' sake, you're invited to my table. And all your shortcomings, all the mess-ups of your flesh, all the inefficiency of your flesh, 
is going to be hidden under the king's table. And you're going to get to sit at the table like a child of the king. And you're going to get to eat at the king's table. See, listen, this is the good news today. That God wants us to be known as his children. See, and that's the invitation for maybe somebody who's not a Christ follower today. So this is what God wants for you. He wants you to be his child. And there's no better thing to be than a child of God. Because there's blessings at the king's table. There's provision. There's all that you need at the table of God. And it's not acting like religious people you don't like. It's actually the things that you need for your life. It's the wisdom that you need for your life, the forgiveness that you need for your life, the healing that you need for your life, the peace that you need for your life. Last verse, and we'll receive communion together. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. See, this is a brand new identity for us. I'm not somebody trying to achieve righteousness. I'm not, trying, I'm not somebody trying to do something. I'm not somebody trying to make my way to God. I'm a child of God, and this is what he's called me to be. And all I need to do is say yes. So there's a simple prayer for you today. Those of you who aren't Christ followers and don't like religious people, I'm with you. I'm in that boat with you. But God, I want to be your child. God, I say yes to the new covenant. God, I say yes to your new way of doing stuff. God, I say yes to your righteousness because I don't have any of my own. God, I say yes to sitting at your table. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we be has not been appeared, but we will know When he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So how do we purify ourselves? Man, our hope is in Jesus because you can't purify yourself on your own. Have you figured this out yet? You can't do it. But how do we get purified? Our hope is in him. All right, let's grab the elements this morning over there. In the seat pocket in front of you or from the front row, they're by the leg of your chair. So if you're here this morning and you are a Christ follower, we invite you to receive communion with us. If you weren't a Christ follower at the beginning of the service, but you have prayed as I have been talking about, hey, receive communion together with us today. I had a lady tell me after first service, this is the first time I received communion. Thank you for explaining it to me. So great. So just a practical explanation, there's a top cellophane piece that holds the wafer. Sometimes it's hard to open, but let's just take it out and hold on to it for a second. The wafer represents Jesus' body. Scripture tells us in Isaiah 53, looking forward to Jesus' crucifixion, talking about his broken body, he says that by his stripes, talking about Jesus, we are healed, present tense. 
So this is our expectation today. This is what we are reminding ourselves today, that we're reminding ourselves of the greatness of God. We're not just doing something religious. And we don't have the better way than somebody else who has a loaf in their church this morning. But what we can do is we can gauge our heart with the truth of God's word. By his stripes, we are healed. That means if we're facing any sickness and disease, if we're facing any brokenness like Mephibosheth, we're invited to the king's table, friends, where brokenness gets covered because of the king's table. So let's just pray this morning. God, we are so thankful today that Jesus came and he died on the cross, that he took stripes on his back, that he took brokenness so we could receive healing. So today we are reminded of this fact as we hold this wafer, that your power is greater than any sickness and disease. That your name, the name of Jesus is above any name, any name of sickness or pain. So we thank you, Lord, for your healing power from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. We thank you, Lord, that your power is greater and you created our bodies and you know how to fix them. So we just thank you, Lord, for that power today, changing our lives. And God, today, if, if anybody is in the room, they, they are brokenhearted, they are broken on the inside, that your brokenness heals that, that you can reach into human hearts and we can have a brand new identity today. Depression doesn't define me today. Being a child of God does. Being shameful does not define me today. Being a child of God does. Guilt does not define me today. Being a child of God does. God, I thank you for a brand new identity in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your healing of power. In Jesus' name, let's eat together. Let's open up the bottom portion with the juice. Jesus said, as we read, this is the new covenant. In other words, a sacrifice has been made. That Jesus shed his blood and all sacrifices are done now. The sacrificial system is done. Stop trying to sacrifice. It's been done. The blood of Jesus, as this is a representation of, reminds us that that is true. This is what we need to put our faith in today. Let's just pray. God, we're so thankful for Jesus' blood today. We're so thankful for forgiveness, that you offer us forgiveness at your table. We thank you, Lord, that the power of your forgiveness is stronger than any sin in my life. That your power, the power in your blood is stronger than any mistakes that I've made. God, we thank you for your righteousness today. That we can stand here in your presence, that we can experience your presence because of the blood of Jesus. We thank you for that. Let's drink together. Thank you for your support. If you want to connect with us, you can find us online at thecitychurch.ca.